Wow. I had to do that. A standing ovation for Wrestle Kingdom 15, night one and night two. In my notes right here, I have a total of seven matches that I personally picked out before Wrestle Kingdom came on. And these are the matches that I picked, and these are all the matches that I'm going to be going in depth in and giving you guys my opinions on. Before I run the card down, I want to say that a lot of these matches that I picked and watched told a great story. I know there's a lot of wrestling fans out there that don't give New Japan Pro Wrestling any credit from a storyline perspective because all you guys think about is stiff and strong style wrestling. And I feel you guys because I feel like that's what New Japan Pro Wrestling is all about, you know? New Japan Pro Wrestling is about that stiff, just rugged, tough, in-your-face, smash-mouth wrestling. And we indeed got that on night one and night two. But I feel like night two specifically really told great stories. And New Japan Pro Wrestling is very underrated in that department. Now, I want to run down some of the matches that I am going to be talking about in this New Japan Pro Wrestling Wrestle Kingdom 15, night one and night two review. From night one, I'm going to be talking about Kenta, the IWGP US briefcase holder, as he went one-on-one with Como, right? That was in night one. Also in night one, I'm going to be talking about Will Ospreay versus Okada. You guys, that match, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it. Now, the next match I'm going to talk about is also Kota Bushi versus Naito for the IWGP Heavyweight and IWGP Intercontinental Championships. In night two, I'm going to be talking about the Never Openweight Championship between Jeff Cobb versus Shingo Takashi as they went at one another for the Never Openweight Championship. The next match I'm going to talk about is Shingo Takashi, Evil, and Sonata. I'm going to talk about that match as well as them two went one-on-one. Former tag team champions, by the way, went one-on-one. I'm going to also talk about the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship between Ishimori versus Imori Takahashi. Takahashi is one of my favorites, man. These two guys killed it. I'm going to talk about it. And in the main event for the IWGP Heavyweight and Intercontinental Championships, as both titles were up for grabs, we had the champion, Kota Ibushi, as he went one-on-one with the Switchblade, Jay White, in the main event. All that coming up next on the most wrestling creative podcast in the game, the Wrestling Takeover Podcast. Ayo, Agger. Hit the intro, man. Let's get this thing started. Welcome to... You're listening to the Wrestling Takeover. What is your name? With your host, Jordan Turner, who's always going to keep it real. Come on, King. Inside and outside the ring. Let me make myself clear. He's got the band behind him, King. It's time to take over, King. Are you ready? He's all fired up now, King. Takeover. Let's go. Damn, 
was Wrestle Kingdom night one and night two a great show? Seven matches that I personally picked out. I thoroughly enjoyed every single one of these matches. I'm going to go in depth. I'm going to talk about every one of these matches. I don't really know what's going on with storylines. I don't really give a fuck about that. I just want to talk about the matches and what I've seen and what I enjoyed. None of these matches that I'm going to be talking about, I don't have any negatives to say about them. Every match, every match told a great story. Storytelling is so underrated in pro wrestling, and it's mainly underrated in New Japan Pro Wrestling. You guys got to give them credit from a storyline standpoint. Now, I don't know what's going to go on after Wrestle Kingdom. I really don't. I don't really keep up with Wrestle Kingdom on a consistent basis like that. I just watch their big time shows. That's all I do. Um, I told you guys that I want to be talking about New Japan way more. And I'm doing that this year more than ever before. And for the foreseeable future, we're kicking it off with Wrestle Kingdom 15, man. And we're going to go right into it. Not waste enough of your time. We're going to go into the first opener of night one. Kenta, the current reigning IWGP US briefcase holder. As he went one-on-one against Sati Kiyobashi. Now, Kenta is the current IWGP briefcase holder. And he is wanting to go and challenge John Moxley. For the IWGP United States Championship. As you all know. John Moxley. Isn't able to go to New Japan. Because of obligations with AEW. And the travel restrictions. From America to Japan. Right? But. Don't be fooled. Because we've seen Kenta beat. Tamori. Via a go to sleep. AKA homage to CM Punk. And. He retained his briefcase. Now, John Moxley did appear. He didn't appear live, but he appeared via a videotape. We were doing a promo with him. It was really, really cool. It was edgy. It was different. And we seen him appear. And we seen him talk about whoever won this match. I'm, I'm coming for you, pretty much. And he's the champion. So you know John Moxley doesn't give a damn. John Moxley doesn't give a fuck. John Moxley is with the smoke. John Moxley doesn't care who he has to go and run through. Kenta has been wanting John Moxley for months and months. He's been complaining on social media, complaining on New Japan's end. And looks like we are finally going to get Kenta versus John Moxley. So whenever that match takes place, maybe at Dominion, because Dominion is going to be the next New Japan Pro Wrestling show that I'm going to be covering on the Wrestling Takeover podcast. So if that happens at Dominion, I'm definitely going to be tuning in for that. It was overall a decent opener to New Japan. In night one, it was a good match. Nothing really special here. Uh, Kenta is using the go to sleep as people believe that CM Punk invented the move, which is incorrect. Kenta was the first one to come up with the go to sleep. CM Punk took it, and it is what it is. So that's kind of funny how people were saying CM Punk came up with it because he didn't. Kenta was the originator of the go to sleep. Now, the second match, Will Ospreay versus Kashisku Okada. Yes, 
Okada versus Will Ospreay. Oh my God. I mean, this match, I want to go right off the bat and say this was a five-star classic. I mean, I'd keep that thing going and going and going because this match, I know a lot of people don't really like the star ratings from Dave Meltzer and just seeing other fans come up with star ratings. I don't give a damn, okay? This is a definition of a five-star classic. This is a definition of storytelling. It was just tremendous from start to finish. We've seen... Okada ultimately defeat Will Ospreay via a Rainmaker. This match also had drama with Will Ospreay as he wants respect and he feels he rightfully deserves the respect. He feels like he's being disrespected by not only New Japan Pro Wrestling, but he feels like he is being disrespected by Okada because Okada isn't giving him power. You see, Will Ospreay wants power. Will Ospreay wants to pretty much be the New Japan version of Roman Reigns or of a Kenny Omega where someone is going after multiple championships in different promotions. It looks like that's the it thing that's going on in New in, um, not only New Japan, but in Impact Wrestling and in WWE. So that's a cool concept, I guess, but I don't kind of really like that. Will Ospreay is kind of copying from a Kenny Omega and a Roman Reigns. That's just me personally. Um, I do love the character of Will Ospreay. It looks like Will Ospreay is going and just moving away from the uh, just high-flying risk daredevil-type tactics that got him over really, really well. And that was the first reason why I started watching Will Ospreay because of his high-flying aerial assaults. I just never watched anybody like that. You know what I mean? I mean, you had Ray and Eddie, but... They weren't anything like a real Osprey or a Ricochet. You know what I mean? When those cats were there back in the day. So that's when I first started watching Jay. And it was cool. Will Osprey and Okada have tremendous chemistry. They have good chemistry. I love that Okada was talking shit. You know, Will Osprey was obviously talking shit throughout the whole match. Saying, oh, I'm the god. I'm the king. All this other stuff. I'm going to beat you. All this other shit. Woo, woo, you know what I mean? But I love that Okada had some intensity about him. You know, because Okada's quiet. Okada's just going to go in there and fuck you up. And end of story and leave. But nah, he not only did that, but he started to talk shit to Will Ospreay. So that was a cool back and forth gesture. I really love that these wrestlers are starting to talk crap to each other during the, ring, during the match. Inside the ring. Because it adds to the overall story. Of the match. People are complaining about that though. People are like. Oh I don't like when wrestlers. Kind of talk to each other. I like that personally. I like it very much. Roman Reigns is doing it a lot. And he needs to keep doing it. Because it elevates his character. That's why these guys are doing it. It's elevating their character. Mainly a Will Ospreay. Which is a heel. And he's kind of being booked similar to a Roman Reigns. And Kenny Omega. He's talking shit to his opponents. While also winning at the end of the day. So that needs to continue. But obviously his mouth got him in trouble. As he lost via a Rainmaker to Okada. Five star classic for sure for this one. Now next 
We've seen Kota Bushi. Now, we've seen Kota Bushi later on in day two in the main event. But here, we've seen him go one-on-one with Naito for the IWGP Heavyweight and IWGP Intercontinental Championships as both titles were up for grabs. Naito, during the match, was going after Ibushi's neck. Oh, my God. Kota Ibushi is so underrated from a not only wrestling standpoint, but he's underrated from a selling standpoint. In several of these spots, I thought Ibushi broke his neck. I cannot be the only one that thought that. I legitimately thought Ibushi like three or four times broke his neck, especially on the spot where Naito grabbed Ibushi and slammed him neck first on the hard apron of the ring. When he did that, I thought he broke his neck, did Ibushi. I cringed, and even the commentators were like, oh, shit, did he break his neck? They kept mentioning the neck because, obviously, Ibushi has a history of neck problems. He's had surgery multiple times on the neck. So, obviously, that played a factor in not only this match, but in the main event later on in day two against Jay White. Just some good stuff. And Kota Ibushi is very underrated in selling. And you guys got to give him a little bit more respect from a storytelling perspective. He's a great wrestler. He's one of the greatest wrestlers on the planet. I think top five easily. He's one of the most stiffest wrestlers in the game. I would never want to take a fucking kick to the chest from Kota Ibushi. I'd rather take one of those palm slaps from Ibushi than a kick to the chest. I'm telling you that right now. I would rather take a forearm palm strike to the face than a kick to the chest because Ibushi delivers one of the most vicious kicks in professional wrestling today. Now, Naito isn't no slouch. I love Naito. Um, I feel like I'm a little bit more a fan of Ibushi and a Jay White and a Jeff Cobb than Naito, but Naito was one of the best. I love Okada, obviously, um, but Naito, he played babyface here. These two are best friends. These two were going at it, strike for strike, bout for bout. So that was really cool. And we all know New Japan is into that strong style. And in several of these matches, it definitely played a part, especially in this match. As Naito was working on Ibushi's neck, and that was a tell sign for what was to come. Not only during this match, but in the main event of night two. You know, Ubushi is very underrated in selling. You guys got to give him a little bit more credit with that. Naito, on the other hand, he's great in his own right. But we've seen a spot. This was one of the spots. Koto Ubushi, right? As Naito was running at him, he did a Hurricane Rana as both men landed outside the ring. So both men were outside the ring. They were on the apron. And Naito started to run at Ibushi. Ibushi instantly instantly on instinct landed at hurricane rana and absolutely naito landed on his fucking back this guy was screaming obviously he was selling it but at the same time i know he was in pain so that right there was just brutal both men went back in the ring with palm strikes elbow strikes and just going at it we've seen momentum for naito and then kota bushi came back and Another spot that we've seen during the match was Naito was just punching the shit out of Kota Bushi, and Kota Bushi was just standing there like, yeah, 
Give me more. I'm, I'm not going away. You know what I mean? I'm just going to keep standing here. And then when you're done, I'm going to fuck you up. And that's exactly what he did. Naito landing these fucking strikes to Ibushi. And Ibushi was pretty much saying body language wise, like, okay, you're done. All right. And then that's when he landed that vicious kick to the chest of Naito. And then Naito, he looked like he passed out. The selling of Naito was great as well. So that was some good stuff. Very good storytelling for both men. At the end of the day, Kotobushi won, and he defeated Naito via an avalanche knee strike. Basically, a running knee strike. And I want to say about the running knee strike, it's very underrated. I love the knee strikes in pro wrestling with Aleister Black, Kotobushi, Kenny Omega. Some of my favorite knee strikers in the game. Buddy Murphy as well. So the knee strike is pretty cool to see, especially when done correctly. And it looks just more stiffer when Kotobushi does it specifically. So that was a great, great match on night one. Now, we seen Jay White after the match. Jay White after the match, after Kotobushi won both championships, he was celebrating. I was so happy for Kotobushi because this was finally his time. He's been pushed back for a Jay White, a Naito, a Will Ospreay, a uh, Okada, right? As Okada has been dominating the New Japan scene. For many, many decades. And this is Kotobushi's time. Kotobushi was waiting and waiting and waiting for his time to come. And his time came. And he is now the current reigning defending IWGP Intercontinental Champion. And he is the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. So I'm happy for Kotobushi. But we've seen the briefcase holder, Mr. Jay White, as he holds the briefcase to getting an opportunity at both championships. And Jay White comes in the ring, pretty much telling Kotobushi, I will see you tomorrow, and I'm going to beat your ass tomorrow, and I'm taking both of those championships. So that was a wonderful way to end night one of Wrestle Kingdom 15. Another round of applause for night one, because night one was just a wonderful sight, man. Some great matches, great storytelling for every single man that... Had a match. It was some good stuff. And commentary really, really played it up in regards to pretty much saying that all these wrestlers are looking like they're dead. Especially in the Kotobushi matches. Like, these commentators were just saying just, oh, we broke his neck, his neck, his neck. So they pretty much did an amazing job. And I got to give them credit as well. Now we get to night two. Of Wrestle Kingdom 15. And we open with the never open weight championship. Jeff Cobb the champion. Versus Shingo Takashi. Hard hitting. Like a motherfucker. Hard hitting. And that is what this championship is about. I'm just. Predicting that. That's just my prediction. Okay. Because. From what I've seen. In every open weight match. There's always some hard hitting bouts. With powerful moves, powerful palm strikes, kicks, forearm strikes. You know what I mean? And we've seen a lot of that in this match. And I said to myself, is that the reason why we have this championship? It's because to see who the baddest motherfucker is. I think that's why they have this title. And I believe I'm right. I might be wrong. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe that's why this title is created. Now... Both men began, like I said, with palm strikes, elbow strikes, going at it, 
Jeff Cobb and Takashi was telling a story with their bodies. Who can outlast the longest? And at the end of the day, Takashi lasted longer than Jeff Cobb. As Shingo Takashi defeated Jeff Cobb via a running clothesline to retain his never open weight championship. This was insane, bro. So throughout this match, we've seen the strong style combinations from both men. As we saw a lot of that during this match and during the show. As strong style really plays a factor in New Japan. Then we've seen Takashi attempt a run at Jeff Cobb, but he collapsed. Because he just kept getting destroyed with suplexes and vertical suplexes. Jeff Cobb is a suplex machine. We say Brock Lesnar is a suplex machine. Kurt Angle is a suplex machine. Chris Benoit, God rest his soul, is a suplex machine as well. Jeff Cobb needs to be in that discussion. Jeff Cobb is a suplex machine. Every single move he did in a suplex type position. A belly-to-belly suplex, a vertical suplex, a jumping suplex, a standing suplex where he stands him up in a suplex position and then slams him down vertically. We've seen that in this match. So it was some good stuff. I thought Jeff Cobb was going to win, especially because of how dominating he was. But Takashi, as an underdog, he came back. And in some of these instances, I thought he broke his nose because of just the palm strikes that were going at Adam with Jeff Cobb. It was great. So great selling by Takashi. Great selling from Jeff Cobb. Jeff Cobb just was kind of being a little cocky. You know, especially with some of the moves that he was doing. Every, every instant, he thought he was going to win. He would go for a pin, go for a pin, go for a pin. And he was kind of celebrating a little bit before the referee hit the three count. So I believe he kind of got ahead of himself a little bit. And it kind of got up to him. And he lost. This was a wonderful match. And some good stuff. Strong style, pro wrestling. We need that a lot more. And we get it a lot in New Japan. We need to see a little bit more in the U.S., but fans are sensitive to that shit, and I just don't think we're going to be seeing that type of shit, really, in the United States with the strong style. Now, the next match on this card, Sonata versus Evil. This is just a singles bout. Former tag team champions going at it. Now, during the match, we've seen Evil place a chair on the neck of Sonata. Evil then went underneath the ring and grabbed another steel chair. And when I tell you he swung from the fences, he swung for the fences. He absolutely drilled Zanata and smacked the chair that he had placed under his neck. And that chair flew out and believe it went into the crowd. That was some cool stuff. Now, during the match, we seen Dicko Oltu, right? That was one of the partners for Evil. As Evil is a heel, I mean, his name is Evil. Give me a break, right? He can't be a face and be called Evil. That doesn't make any sense. Now, Dick, right? Yes, that's his name. That's Evil's sidekick. His name is Dick, right? He's the manager. He kept going after Sonata every time he got the opportunity to do so. And he was just going after Sonata and going after Sonata repeatedly. And I'm I'm kind of like... Uh, it's a good match, but I don't like Dick getting involved, bro. <laughs> yeah, his name is Dick. I know it's fucking weird, but I don't really like that Dick was kind of going after Sonata all the goddamn time. 
you know, every opportunity, every opportunity, go, go, go. He just kept going after Sonata. And I'm just like, bro, this isn't a two-on-one handicap match, my nigga. Like, come on, man. This isn't a handicap match, dog. So that kind of took away from the match just a little bit. But at the end of the day, it was a phenomenal match. Sonata actually defeated Evil via a moonsault from the top rope. Sonata went for the moonsault not once, but twice, but three times. Three consecutive times. I love that. Because if I was a wrestler and I see my opponent down and I hit the moonsault not once, I'm not going to hit it one time. I'm going to go up there and I'm going to do it again. And then if he starts moving a little bit, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it repeatedly until this guy doesn't fucking move. And then I'll go for the pin. So I love that he went to the top rope and landed three consecutive moonsaults. That was some cool stuff. It was a great match. It, was, it went 24 minutes. Awesome match. Next up for the IWGP Heavyweight Junior Championship. We've seen champion Tashi Hiromori versus Hiromi Takahashi. Now, a lot of people are were fans of this match. A lot of people, I believe, said that this match could have potentially been an undercard stiller for New Japan, and you guys were not wrong. This match went 28 minutes. I love that New Japan just lets their wrestlers go out there and have near a 30-minute classic. This was another classic bout. It was another hard-hitting. We've seen... Canadian Destroyers, I mean, we've seen Palm Strikes, we've seen 450s, we've seen Imori Takahashi get her get his left arm done in this match. That was the entire story of this match. The left arm and shoulder blade of Hiroi was getting attacked during this match. I mean, in every instance, we've seen Tashi go after Imori and go after his arm consistently. And I love that. You know what I mean? I love the psychology about that. And that's storytelling, man. I know a lot of people might not like that type of thing. But I do. I think that's very, very cool for him to be doing that. Because you heard it. So you got to keep going at it. You got to keep going at it. And the selling of Imori with the elbow and the arm. It was fucking great. He looked like his arm literally got popped out of his shoulder. So... That was cool. He was messing with his arm, and he was in submission holds for a very long time. So that was cool. And he was screaming. He was really selling this shit. So that was good on his part. We seen also during the match, we seen not only a Canadian destroyer, like I said, but we seen Imori absolutely drill Omori via a forearm shots to the face. I mean, he drilled this dude like 10 times because I counted. He kept punching Amori and kept punching him and punching him and punching him because Amori kept coming up. So every time he kept popping up, he kept getting hit with another forearm strike. Got up, got hit with another forearm strike. Did that 10 times. That was nasty. Only New Japan can probably do that and get away with it. Now, at the end of the day, Amori Takahashi came back. Yes, he came back and he defeated Tashi Ishimori. And he won via a tie bomb. Thought it was a tiger bomb, but it's not a tiger bomb. It's a tie bomb. That's what he calls it. And he became the new IWGP heavyweight championship. I mean, this match was insane. I mean, what else am I supposed to say? 
If you guys did not watch New Japan, you really missed out on some great matches. So far in 2021, New Japan came out with a bang. It was some good stuff, as this was the co-main event of Wrestle Kingdom 15, Day 2. Wow. Okay. Let's get to the main event. I want to do this real quick, and I'm going to continue to press this button because this match deserves it. It really, really deserves this shit. It deserves that. Went on a little too long, but it it just, that's what it deserves, in my opinion. This match, I I have my notes right here, guys, and I'm, it's a long, long list of story that was told in the main event. And it was for the IWGP Heavyweight and Intercontinental Champions. As both titles were up for grabs, the champion, Kota Bushi, as he went one-on-one with Jay White. I want to say something about Jay White real quick before I talk about what happened during this match. I don't want to say everybody because I don't want to put everybody in a category, but there are some people in the community that do not give Jay White the credit that he deserves. That's because he's in New Japan. Not a lot of people watch New Japan. They don't understand New Japan. Like They might watch it, but they might not understand anything that's going on. And I understand that. That's okay. I'm kind of in your little boat there too. But Jay White has been absolutely outstanding as a heel. He's not Roman Reigns. Nobody in the wrestling world is on Roman Reigns' level. I don't give a fuck if you say Kenny Omega, a Jay White, a MJF. I'm going to say Roman Reigns to your face. Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns. He's the best heel in professional wrestling. But Jay White is so underrated, man. He really is. He trash talks people. He's just a fucking dick. He's a dick. And you gotta love it. You gotta love it as a heel. And if you're a fan of a heel, Jay White is for you. Because he did a lot of trash talking during this match. And kind of came back to bite him in the ass. Now, during this match, there's just a lot of shit here, man. So, we start off with Jay White picking up Kotobushi via back suplex. And landing Kotobushi neck first on the apron. They love the fucking apron spots to New Japan. They really do. And I seen that and I'm like, I'm grabbing, I grabbed my neck and I'm like, oh my God, bro. Like, it's Kotobushi, all right? Again, the neck was a factor here. Not only the neck, but the left arm, the shoulder blade, the stomach. I mean, Kotobushi got absolutely destroyed. Jay White picked. Kota Ibushi apart like Randy Orton. This was on some Randy Orton type stuff. Now Randy Orton picks apart his opponents going after the fingers, going after just the back, the neck, so on and so forth. Every body part Randy Orton goes after. That's what we've seen with Jay White with Kota Ibushi. He specifically went after the legs of Kota Ibushi, obviously, because Kota Ibushi can fly. You got to take out the legs. If you take out the legs... You're straight. You know what I mean? You're great to go. And so we've seen a lot of that during this match. This entire match, all Jay White was attacking the stomach, like I said. 
the neck of Abushi. Abushi is so underrated in selling. He is one of the most underrated in the selling department because he absolutely killed it today. He killed it, man. It was some good stuff. Great heel work from Jay White today. This match went... Oh, my God. This match went 48 minutes, you guys. I want to let that, I want to let you guys know that right now. This match went 48 minutes. As Jay White was attacking every single body part of Kota Bushi. Kota Bushi's underrated as selling. He was grabbing the neck. He was grabbing his leg. He was grabbing his stomach in pain. He was screaming in agony. He was screaming in pain, and Jay White was laughing because he knew that he had Kota Bushi where he stood. Now, this is where some of the things that were taking place. Jay White, he went for a power slam. He went for a power slam. He landed a vicious power slam to Kota Bushi. Kota Bushi grabbed his back as he was in legitimate pain. And I seen his eyes, and I feel like he looked really, really hurt. Now, I don't know if he's really hurt or he's a great seller, like I said earlier. I think he's a great seller. I don't think he was really hurt. I think it was just Jay White landing that move and Kota Bushi really, really selling that offense from Jay White. Jay White is a ring technician. He reminds me of Randy Orton from that perspective, working on body parts. As he grabbed the left leg of Ibushi and he lands a snap near corkscrew from the corner of the apron. Kota Bushi was in between the apron. Jay White got outside the ring, grabbed the left leg, and just pretty much turned it sideways, a corkscrew. So that was cool. Kota Bushi immediately grabbing the left leg and selling it. He was running, not running, but he was kind of crawling around the ring in agony and pain. Jay White was there just laughing at him. Like, he pretty much knew that he had this in the back. Though, Kotobushi came back and landed a Frankensteiner from the top rope. Yes. He went from the top rope, and he landed a Frankensteiner to Jay White. And Jay White's eyes were so big. His eyes were like, oh, fuck. I'm in trouble. And I knew right there in that Right there in that instance, I knew Kotobushi was going to come back. And he was pretty much going to start doing his shit. Strong style stuff. And that is exactly what we've seen. We've seen the combination strikes. Jay White is an idiot. I'm talking about the character Jay White. Jay White, from a character perspective, is an idiot. Why are you going bout for bout, strike for strike, with one of the best strikers in the game in Kotobushi? You want to talk about The Undertaker is the greatest striker in the game. I put Kota Bushi up there in that list. I don't give a damn. Kota Bushi is a phenomenal striker. And Jay White attempted. He thought he was hard. He thought he was cool. Even his partner, Goto, even told, even told him, like, don't go strike for strike with Kota Bushi. You're going to lose. And what happened? He lost. Kota Bushi landed a freaking vicious forearm strike. And JY just went down, pretty much covering himself like, okay, I'm done. Pretty much from a body language perspective. And Kotobushi got to the ground and just started ground and pounding Jay White. Grounding and pounding Jay White. And the referee then got involved. The referee got involved because he's seen enough. And he pushed Kotobushi just a little bit. And then Kotobushi didn't like that. He thought that was absolutely disrespectful. So he took it upon himself to push the referee to the ground. 
and the referee was down for a little bit, and then that's when Jay White took advantage and landed a low blow to Kota Bushi, and that was a turning point of the match, in my opinion, and then that's when Jay White took advantage and started to do Jay White things, and he was pretty much on the offense for the foreseeable match. Now, we've seen Kota Bushi then come back and attempt a knee strike, but White held his hands up as to say, don't hit me. This is when Kota Bushi started to come back, and that was some great storytelling. Storytelling throughout this bout was very good. Both men then go to the top rope. White and Kota Bushi were on the top rope. White attempted an invaded dragon suplex, but Kota Bushi held the corner by grabbing leverage, grabbing the pole. The commentary then said, please hold on, Bushi, as Ibushi was just holding on for dear life. After that, Kota Bushi pushed Jay White as Jay White fell to the ground, and Ibushi went for a Kamigura. He went for a Kamigura, and he went for the pin. Jay White kicked out, and the match continued. Now, we've seen Jay White again go for the legs, go for the stomach. Pretty much he was going for the body parts of Kota Bushi towards the end of this match. And it didn't work. Goto telling Jay White, again, don't challenge him. Jay White laying down, getting covered up again. This is the second time he did that. And this is when the low blow came out again. So this is for the second time Jay White hit Kota Bushi with a low blow. This match went 48 minutes. We then seen Jay White attempt a switchblade. He attempted a switchblade. Kota Bushi countered it. And landed a Kamagora again, a knee strike. He connected two of these, but the second one was just so vicious and so loud, you can hear it. That's how it sounded. It was super loud. And then Kota Bushi pinned Jay White to retain both the IWGP Heavyweight Championship and he retained the IWGP Intercontinental Championship. And that is how New Japan Pro Wrestling Wrestle Kingdom Day 2 went off the air. You guys, Wrestle Kingdom was a good show. Every match was very enjoyable in my eyes. I really love the matches that I watched personally. And New Japan, man, they're one of the best in the department of storytelling. They're very underrated from that department, and they're one of the best. And they told a lot of great stories here. There's three matches that are five-star classics in my eyes. And these three matches are in order. All right, they are in order. They're not just random. These are the matches that I personally enjoyed. Just because this one's number three doesn't mean it's bad. Just because it's number two doesn't mean it's bad. But the first and the best match on night one and night two was Kazushiko Okada versus Will Ospreay. That was my favorite match of both days. My second favorite match was Kota Bushi versus Jay White in the main event, as I just finished up talking about. And the third match involved Kotobushi again versus Naito. So those were my three favorite matches of Wrestle Kingdom overall from day one and day two. I don't know where New Japan goes from here. Um, I will keep up with on social media, of course. And speaking of social media, before I end this podcast, I would appreciate if you guys follow me on social media. Follow me on Instagram. Follow the podcast at the Wrestling Takeover Podcast. I would really appreciate it. Follow me also on my personal IG account at JT Creative One Dash. 
and follow me on Twitter. I tweet a lot about pro wrestling, about life, about just life in general. So I would really appreciate you guys go and follow at JordanTCK918. It would mean a lot. Go subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Go follow on Spotify. Go follow on Anchor and other podcasting platforms. This is your official Wrestle Kingdom 15 coverage. It is over. Overall, Wrestle Kingdom gets a round of applause because it was a great show from day one and day two from start to finish. I hope you all that watch Wrestle Kingdom enjoyed it. Obviously, as I can tell on social media, you guys thoroughly enjoyed Wrestle Kingdom 15. It went off with a bang. And this show is going to be up there with some of the best in 2021. I guarantee you. I know we're in January, but it was just a phenomenal show with great storytelling and just great matches from each, every wrestler that we've seen during night one and night two. Some good stuff from New Japan. They are moving in the right direction. Are they going to partner up with an Impact Wrestling? Are they going to partner up with an AEW? I don't know. We're going to find out together, though. And I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. I will be back tomorrow for NXT. I will not be covering AEW on Wednesday. I am possibly going to recover that on Thursday morning. You're going to get NXT tomorrow. You're getting Impact Wrestling in a couple hours, so stay tuned to that later on today for Impact Wrestling. And I will see you guys more this week coming up right here on the most creative podcast in the game. This is the Wrestling Takeover Podcast. This is the King, and I'm out. I'll see y'all later. At the clock in my robbery, 17 shots, no 30. Yeah, she's fine. Wondering where she be mine.